God does deserve all the glory. He does. What a, what a great day. The week has already started off well. This is the first day of the week. And what a way to start it. And I started it wonderfully this morning. Before even walking into the sanctuary. And let me tell you, God, he's here. His presence is here. We pray that all the time, constantly. That just the, the presence of Almighty God would be so powerful here. And before I walked in the sanctuary this morning, coming through our welcome center, there was three people praying. And I met Christy, and she just turned her heart over to Jesus Christ, and uh, she was getting a Bible. And what a, what a great way to start the week. And someone giving their life over to the Lord. It's going to be a great week. Uh, that's, it's just the perfect way to start it out. And I'm looking forward to the rest of the week. I hope you are too, because lots is going on. Uh, I'll be at the ultimate date night on Friday. Hope all you couples can make it too. But I want to also invite you to next Saturday morning. We've been uh, hosting here the Upward Basketball and Cheer. It's been really wonderful. I've been to uh, several Saturdays. And our gyms are full of people, community people, some families that... Uh, don't even really have a connection to church, so I want to invite you out. Next Saturday is our last, um, our final upward basketball and cheer. And if you could come out 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, just to cheer on one of the games, fill up the gymnasiums, the students would love it, I know. And you'd have an opportunity to meet someone, perhaps, see what's been going on here uh, at your church, because it's been fantastic. And uh, between each game at the halftime, there's always uh, a little devotional, someone uh, bringing a bit of the Word of God. Come on out. Come on out. And, uh, it doesn't have to be for all three games. Make it a point, if you can, to be out for one. It'd be a great way to close out the season. And then the next day, so we got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, is our serve afternoon. Next Sunday, the 23rd, after our church service, we have an opportunity for every single person here to learn about ways where you might uh, serve here. Even if you're already serving someplace in the, in the church, stop by our dining rooms after the service. We have a light lunch ready, and you can learn about different areas in the church where you might be a great fit to serve, and it's very, very fulfilling to serve God uh, here in your local church. So next weekend, look forward to it. Great things are happening. And it's all about Jesus. We've been talking about Jesus here uh, and, and the words that he has been uh, specifically saying, and that has been, when you. If you've been coming for the past several weeks, you know that's been our topic. Jesus saying, when you. When you pray, we've talked about it, when you pray. And I, I do want to just say, as an aside, there's these prayer stations that we've had out in the lobby since Christmas. We left them up. And so many of you have noticed it. I haven't even mentioned it, but I know you're still putting needs up there. And I want you to know that 
our ministerial staff takes time through the week to pass through that lobby and we'll stop and we'll take some time to read some of those needs, pray over them. And what we thought is we'll just leave those prayer stations up and you can continue to use them. And what we're going to do is at the end of the month, collect all those needs, take them into our Saturday morning prayer meeting that we have in the last Saturday of the month and just collectively pray over every single need as we pray for the church. So I want you to know that uh, when you pray, you can add your need there too, because we believe in prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, in other words, not if, that it's really presumed we're all going to pray. And last week uh, we talked about when you give and that again, the words of Jesus, he brought this up in Matthew chapter 6, speaking to a group of, a big group, a multitude of the average, everyday person. But he hit a third topic. So he said, when you give, when you pray, and we're going to talk about that third topic this morning. But before I get there, I want to ask you a question. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand. You answer this question internally. Not, I don't want to see a whole bunch of hands going up. I'm not here to count hands. I'm not here to take a poll. But I'm going to ask you, last week, did you at least one time pray? Jesus said, when you pray, somewhat speaking to this as, a, as a, a, an ordinary occasion in people's lives. So last week, did you one time pray? And I'm guessing if I did ask for hands, I'd probably see almost the entire place, if not 100% of hands in the air. I'll ask another question. Last week, did you one time give? Whether it was you know, here at the church or whether you uh, gave. And we talked last week, Jesus said, when you give to the needy, maybe you bought someone lunch. Maybe you gave someone a ride, whatever. You gave something. Did you at least last week one time give? And I would imagine, again... Not asking for your hands. You answer that inside. But I'm guessing that I'd see many hands raised. So Jesus was talking about practices that were common, regular, familiar, not unusual, not out of the ordinary. Giving, praying. Now I expect the same for the next topic we're going to address. I just think if... He was talking about these normal, everyday uh, practices. As he continued, it's in the same theme. So I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 6. This is the third, the third practice that Jesus addresses here using this phrase, when you. Giving, praying, and now Matthew 6, 16 verses 18. When you fast. Do you look somber as the hypocrites do? For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, 
they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you give, Jesus talking about a habit, a regular occurrence in life. When you pray, Jesus again, speaking of an everyday habit. When you fast. So back to the question. Back to the question. Last week, did you at one time, one time did you fast? No, I'm not asking for hands like I said. I'm guessing there'd be less hands. That's all. That would be my guess. Jesus here speaking to these things. Is it part of our life? Is it part of our life? Giving, praying. What about this topic of fasting? Is it similarly part of our life that it's a practice? It's a habit. Now, to the audience that Jesus was addressing there on the hillside, it would seem that he was under the impression that this would be with the same amount of regularity and habit as praying and giving. Talking about fasting, that wouldn't upset his audience, that wouldn't shock his audience. He's speaking as if, hey, this is something you do. He's presuming it's part of their lives. He didn't say if you fast. When, when you fast, implying it's going to happen. So how does that, how does that relate to our Christianity? Should we fast? Do we fast? How should we apply this in our lives? And there's, a, there's much to talk about in this topic. It's, it's big. And I'll tell you that it's not a one Sunday topic. So I, I do want to spend some time on this. And today will just be a, you know, it'll be a first crack at this topic of fasting. So let's dive into it because it's throughout the Bible. It's there in the Old Testament. It's there in the New Testament. We see Jesus talking about it. So let's talk about it. What is it? What is it? Let's just define the term. Let's give it a, a definition that we can, at least all, we're on the same page. When you hear me say the word, at least you'll know where I'm coming from. In the Old Testament, this idea of fasting, it was very straightforward and plain. It wasn't an elaborate definition. It just really meant to abstain from food. And the root word, the root Hebrew word was a, uh, meant literally, cover your mouth. So you're not letting anything in. In the New Testament, the Greek word is, is very similar. And it means to abstain from food. So the, the word biblically, the, the term, when we read it in the Bible, it's primarily this idea of not eating some food. And for the people in Jesus' time... Now, that was not out of the ordinary. It was not uncommon. 
the very observant religious Jews, they fasted two times a week. They would fast on Monday and Thursday. The second and the fifth day, they, they would use as days of fasting. And Jesus confirmed this practice of twice a week fasting. If you read the Gospel of Luke chapter 18, he spoke of two men praying. He gave a parable of two men praying. One was a proud man, the other a humble man. And Jesus was contrasting their prayers. But what was interesting was the prayer of the proud man. The proud man, his prayer was like bragging to God. And Jesus gives a quote of the proud man's prayer. God, I thank you. I'm not like the other people. I'm not a robber. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, and I give a tithe of everything I have. That was the prayer of the proud man. And what we note regarding fasting is that Jesus states, I fast twice a week, because that was the custom of the observant, the very observant Jew. And it was a custom. It was not necessarily a written law. These were voluntary fasts. And it was for the, the holiest of Jews. The, the Pharisees considered themselves the holiest of Jews. And in Luke 18, that's what Jesus said. The proud man was a Pharisee. And they considered themselves most holy. And fasting was a means for them, supposedly, of holiness. And it, it can be, but they had twisted it. But it was supposed to be a time where they would... Devote to God. Instead of spending time on preparing meals and eating, they would devote that time to God. So they wouldn't eat. And the typical thing would be morning till evening. So they would fast all day long. They would perhaps eat something in the evening. That was the common fast. At times it might be longer. And we're going to look at some examples of more than a day's worth of uh, fasting. But those were the, those were the voluntary times, and then you, could, you could fast uh, anytime you saw fit. But there was also times where fasting was prescribed. It was mandated. One example is the Day of Atonement, where uh, the whole nation would repent before God. they do this one time a year. God said, you put the the sin of the people on, on the scapegoat or the goat that would, they would send out into the wilderness. And the whole nation uh, would observe a full day of fasting because in Leviticus uh, 16 and Le Leviticus chapter 23, the words say, you are to deny yourselves. So the Jews took this, we're going to deny ourselves of food that day. And so they wouldn't, they wouldn't eat for that whole day. And that was a... That, that was something they all uh, subscribed to, that they would see this one day. It wasn't a voluntary time. This was a time where everyone would do this. And we're going to look at some of the roots of this, some of the Old Testament examples, and we'll get into some of the New Testament examples next week. And then we, we just want to also try to figure out how this applies to our lives now. Again, Jesus said this. So 
can we, can we make some application for ourselves? Now, before I get there, uh, I don't want you to get uncomfortable. If, if you've got, you know, physical needs, if you have a physical or a medical concern, I don't want you to be sitting there thinking, you know, oh no, here it comes. He's going he's gonna to lay this whole fasting thing on me and it's, it, it, I can't do it. Don't go there, right? Because we're not going to go there. You know, if, if abstaining from food, if it harms you, if you can't fast, uh, you know, this isn't going to be laid heavy on you at all, no. You know, the, the primary principle, which we'll talk about today and again next week, I think is very succinctly put in Leviticus chapter 16. You must deny yourselves. And, and that can be applied in many areas of our life, not just food. So keep that in mind. No, we're, not, we're not talking about fasting as a way to hurt you. Yeah, Injury is not the object here. Because that would defeat the point. You know, hurting yourself would de- defeat the point. Uh, so, so as we dig into some biblical examples... This was the definition in, in Bible times. So this is what people were doing. Uh, but the, the point of it really was uh, to seek God, to better serve God, uh, not to be less fit by harming ourselves. It's to get better fit and closer to God through this idea of denying ourselves, self-denial. So let's keep in mind these words of Jesus as he did with giving, as he did with prayer. When you. And his instructions, they were, again, they came across just like with prayer and giving. He started with a negative. What not to do. What not to do. When you give, he said, don't announce it. Do not announce it with trumpets. Don't be like uh, the hypocrites who have got to put out a big show. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So don't, don't, don't. He's, he's giving us the things not to do. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the pagans. Don't be babbling like the pagans. Don't be like the hypocrites showing off. When you fast, another do not. Don't look somber. That's what the hypocrites do. And this is the third time he's hammering on this. This is what the hypocrites do. They do this to be seen. And they have their reward in full. So if you want people to see you, I think Jesus has really driven that point home. God's not going to bless it. He's not going to smile on it. You've got your reward already. He's repeated it over and over again. Don't do these things to be seen. Not giving, not praying, not fasting. Don't do it to be noticed. And then he does follow up with, then what to do? So he, he said, when you fast, you know, be sure to clean up. Wash your face. You know, slick your hair back with some oil. Make yourself look good. Put a smile on your face. Don't go around with the doldrums. Don't make it obvious. This is between you and God. Just, just like the giving and, and oftentimes praying and again, Jesus is speaking to the average, everyday person. He's not, he's not talking to the leaders and the Pharisees. So he, he didn't make a reference to the twice-a-week practice of fasting. He's speaking about these personal times, these voluntary times. And 
even if somebody wanted or even if they practiced this twice a week fasting, that's fine. Just don't make a show of it. Don't go around showing everybody, uh, you know, how holy you are. It's between you and God. And now like these, these other actions we talked about, these other practices of prayer and giving, do they always have to be completely super secret? Can we never, ever talk about it? And again, the answer is no. Jesus isn't forbidding that you can't speak of it or it has to be absolutely, you know, this isn't, you know, top secret CIA stuff, right? That you can't ever share. No, you can share it, but check your attitude, check your heart. What is the reason you'd be sharing these things? To brag about it? To tell others about it? To be noticed? You've got your reward. But if you're to encourage someone, to help them in their faith, to help them in their relationship with God, of course, you can encourage and uh, give an example. And there are times, too, of corporate giving. We give together. So it's not, it, it will be seen. But we're not making a big deal about it and showing off. And the same thing with prayer. We have corporate times of prayer. Prayer where we're all together. It's not some secret. But where's our heart? Is our heart remaining humble before God? And likewise, with uh, times of corporate fasting. A fast could be individual, for sure. Could be personal. Or could be with a group, too. And many times, that's the way it was in the Old Testament. It was for the whole nation or group of people. And I want to consider some of those examples this morning. Look at those, see what we can draw out of them. So I have some examples from the Old Testament. First one, a king named uh, Jehoshaphat. The account is in uh, the book of Second Chronicles. He was a king of the southern kingdom called Judah. Israel had split. They had had their civil war. They had the north. They had the south. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, the king of the southern kingdom. And uh, there was a, a big army coming toward his kingdom. And he had the smaller kingdom. He had the smaller a portion. The southern, the southern kingdom was smaller. He's got this big army of the enemies coming toward him, the ar army of the Edomites. And they're, uh, you know, they're coming to take over. And Jehoshaphat, he's not feeling too good about this. So what does he do? And let's read about it. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 says, Alarmed, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Now, if we read through the remainder of the account, we're going to find that the Lord went to battle for Judah. That Judah, even though this big army of the enemy was coming, they were successful. And not only were they successful, uh, they defeated these Edomites so soundly and they left so much behind, armor, plunder, clothes, and all of it. it took three days for the, for the Judean army to pick it all up. Jehoshaphat and all the people, they went in the temple and they just praised God for this victory. 
because God had responded. They fasted, they prayed, God responded. And then what occurred? Jehoshaphat's kingdom had peace. Had peace because all the surrounding kingdoms, all the surrounding kingdoms heard what had happened. And they grew fearful because they heard how the Lord had fought for Judah. And the enemy was defeated. So Jehoshaphat, his kingdom had peace. And it all began with a national fast. He called everyone together to take time to fast. Another example. Another example. This is after the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. The city of Jerusalem had been raised. And the people of Judah were taken captive to Babylon. And then the Babylonian Empire fell. Artaxerxes, king of Persia, he wrote out a decree for a guy named Ezra. Ezra was a priest. And he said, go back. Go back to your home country. Rebuild that temple to God. So he wrote this big, long de decree. It's in Ezra chapter 8. Telling Ezra, you go. And we'll supply you. Not only should you go back and build this temple, but we're giving you gold and silver and wheat and wine and olive oil and whatever you need. You just tell us. And let's get it all together here. And then get some people and go. Well, Ezra assembled all of it, along with all the people who were going to travel with him. And, and they assembled by this canal called Ahava. And Ezra was concerned with keeping the people safe. And he was concerned with all that they were transporting, with keeping that safe. So what did he do? Let's read it. Because he called a fast. Ezra chapter 8. This is verses 21 through 23. It says, There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsook, forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this. And he answered our prayer. And he did answer. Ezra, being honest, here's, a, here's some transparency in the word of God. I was ashamed to ask the king for help because we said we trusted God. Well, what are we going to do? Well, let's fast and pray. If we, if we said we're going to trust in God, how about we actually practice that? And how are we going to do that? He said, let's fast, let's pray. And they did that. They petitioned God. Now, this was not some round-the-block journey either. They're going from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, as the crow flies, I don't know, that might be about 800 miles or so. But as they traveled, it was a lot longer because they would go up to the north and, and then they would go west and then they would come down south. It was much longer. This was not just a one-day journey, but perhaps over the course of months. And what, what occurred? Ezra suffered no loss. 
Everyone made it safely and everything made it safely. All the gold, all the silver, all the wine, all the olive oil, all of their possessions, all of the people made it safe back to Jerusalem. And they were able to, to bring that all into uh, the, the temple foundation and begin the process. God answered. A third example. And this is in the book of Esther. Esther, we, we read that an order went out from the Persian king, Xerxes, and he gave an order to destroy all the Jews. Now, it was not really his order. Someone else was really manipulating it. But ultimately, he signed off on the whole deal, which was exterminate the Jews. It was a plan for an ethnic cleansing of all the Jews in the entire empire of Persia. 127 provinces of the Persian Empire, they sent out this decree on this date, get rid of all the Jews. Now the Jews learned of this. They learned of the order, and what did they do? The population at large, what did they do? Esther 4 verse 3 tells us this. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So we see here an attitude of humility. Humility that accompanies fasting. Together these communities mourned. And they denied not only themselves food, but they, they denied themselves comfort. They took off their comfortable clothes and they put on sackcloth and they, they laid in ashes. And when their queen, her name was Esther, when she was pressed to do something about this situation, she was pressed to help the Jewish people. Here's how she responded. Just later in chapter 4, verse 16. Esther said, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Esther, she called an extended fast. Not just a day, she called an extended fast for all the Jews in her city of Susa, it was the capital city, uh, the, the, the citadel was there, or the palace. And she said, don't do it just for a day, but fast with me. I'm going to do this. My attendants are going to do it. Join me for three days so, so that I can prepare to confront the king. And the result was Esther was received by the king. And the plot to exterminate the Jews, it was abolished. And her people were saved started with this national fast that became a city fast. I give you one more example. And this one's a little unique. It's not the Jews who fast. It's a completely different nation. Completely different people. And even though it wasn't the Jews, God responded. And that's something for us to take note of. It's an account in the book of Jonah Jonah, you, 
you may know as the reluctant prophet. He ran from God. God gave Jonah an assignment. He didn't want to do it. And his assignment was to go to preach in the city of Nineveh, the capital of Babylon. Well, Jonah didn't want to do it. So God had to deal with Jonah. But when Jonah finally did obey, he went to the city of Nineveh. And he said, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So he went there to preach destruction. He said, you have 40 days. Now, here's what happened. And this is Jonah chapter 3. I'm going to read you verses 5 to 10. It gives us a great account of what occurred after the people of Nineveh heard 40 days. Verse 5 says, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. That's amazing. These people, the Ninevites, and their king, their leaders, they fasted. All of them, even the animals, they called their animals to fast. And they sought the compassion of Almighty God. And God responded. God responded to them positively. God responded in an amazing way. Now, in all of these examples, all of these examples of fasting, what can we draw out? What can we observe? Now, outside of that day of atonement, which was a prescribed day of fasting, what can we take away from these spontaneous times that people decided to fast? Why? Why did they decide to fast? One, they had a mutual need. They had a, a need that they all shared. You know, there was in these instances that we looked at something extraordinary happening. War was possible. Perhaps there was extermination threatened. There was imminent destruction. Or there was grave danger, perhaps ahead. And that, that travel of Ezra... He was concerned about the danger on the road of bandits and marauders. And what happened? The nation or a city or a group of people, as it was in the, the case of Ezra, they had the mutual need, a mutual cause to seek protection, to seek guidance, to seek help or deliverance from God. And so they petitioned God. They fasted based on this mutual need, and they petitioned God, they sought God. And, and how did they seek God? How did they come before God? Well, they came united. 
There was unity among the people. You know, in these times where a leader called a fast, the people responded together. We don't read that people are like, oh, no, forget that. Hey, you know, can't I go out and get my surf and turf? No, no. They responded together. They said, okay, we'll do this. We will deny ourselves. They had this collective need. They sought God collectively. And, and they went before God, denying themselves. There was an element in every one of these of self-denial. And they denied themselves primarily of, of eating food. But in these times of gathering together, there was often a denial of comfort. I mean, instead of comfortable clothes, these people were donning itchy and uncomfortable sackcloth. Now imagine putting a potato sack on. It's, it's a reminder. You know, these things were a reminder. Today's not a normal day. I'm not just going around doing the things that I normally do. Why am I scratching so much? Oh, I got to pray. You know, I'm hungry. It's a reminder. I got to pray. And so that's what they were doing together, seeking God in prayer. The people took time. They took time. Because fa fasting freed up time. It freed up time to seek God. You know, in ancient times, food was very central to life. It was necessary. Of course, it's necessary for us too, right? I mean, food is necessary. Without it, life's a struggle. We're, we're not going to survive. We need it. But for the average person in ancient times, food consumed a good portion of their day. You know, if it came out of the ground, if they had to pluck it up and harvest it, if it came out of the water, if they were catching it with a net or a hook or a line, or if it came out of the flock, you know, if they had to slaughter it, take care of it, all of these things took time. They had to grind up grain, you know, peel the husks, grind it with a stone, create flour. You, you read passages in the Old Testament where it says they went and they made some bread. Yeah, that wasn't just popping it in the bread maker, right? They just didn't have a bag of flour. You know, they're out there grinding and taking, taking time. You know, the animals had to be prepared and cleaned. And that wasn't a pleasant job and it wasn't instantaneous. There was no Kroger's. There was no super Walmart. You just walk into and pull out, oh, there's a nice cut of meat. There's a can of, can of beans. No, they didn't have that. There was no drive throughs there was no carry-out. There was no hot and ready. These things had to be prepared, and that took a good portion of time. So to forego the food meant to forego the preparation. And now you had, you had time to focus on the Lord. So people used that time to pray and to seek God. And prayer is connected in every single one of these examples. Prayers connected and prayer with an attitude of humility. Together they were seeking God in prayer and seeking God humbly. We read that people sat in dust and ashes from the least to the greatest. Everybody, the king, you know, the, the, the servants. They were all humbling themselves. And when repentance was required, they repented. Now let everyone give up their evil ways, the king of Nineveh said. Let everyone give up their violence. And while seeking 
God in prayer, uh, being humble. It's also a common thread in these examples of fasting. That's something that the, the Pharisees in Jesus' day had perverted. You know, their fasting was disingenuous. It was phony. It was empty. It was just a form of righteousness. It was a hollow form. And Jesus said, you've got your reward. There was no real humility there. And God sees it. God sees it. Remember how, how he repeated that with giving, with prayer, now with fasting. God sees what's done in secret, and he rewards that. He, God's not blessing this disingenuous self-righteousness. But he did respond. But God did respond, and he did bless these examples that we looked at. Because people were sincere. And God answered. God answered. God answered in powerful ways. But consider the hearts of the people who are seeking God. You know, that God should answer. Now, Esther said, let's fast for three days. She said, I'll do what I need to do. And if I perish, I'll, I'll perish. So yeah, God answered. But she wasn't putting some demand on God. She didn't say, okay, let's fast for three days. And I demand to be safe. And I demand. And No, she said, if I perish, I'll perish. This time was taken to seek God and, uh, and just put their trust in him. Now build that trust. They're seeking after him with all their heart. And she was, she was resolved after that. I will trust him whatever happens, whatever. If I perish, I'll perish. And, and that was the attitude of the Ninevites too. And seeking after God. They said, we'll pray for compassion. We'll pray. God might relent. They didn't say, we're going to fast. We're going to seek God's compassion, and he will relent. They, they gave God, the, they got, they gave God the, the sovereignty. They did not push demands on God as they were seeking. Now, these people, they were united. They were exercising self-denial. They were seeking God in prayer. They were seeking God humbly. They were allowing God to answer as he saw fit. And then God responded. He responded in every case. Now, maybe as a church, you know, we'll be called together to fast. I may say, church, there's something happening. And I'd like, I'd like us all to fast together. So let's keep in mind these, these principles. Let's keep in mind what occurred in these times of fasting you know that there was unity and there was self-denial and there was seeking god and prayer humbly and not making demands but allowing god to answer and then trust him trust him to respond as he sees fit let's keep those things in mind and uh, we're going to continue to unfold this next week look at how individuals fasted not just groups remember that jesus said when you give when you pray when you fast and if we subscribe to two two out of three maybe we're giving maybe we're praying and we really don't 
we, we really haven't applied this idea of fasting in our lives, you know, let's consider making it a little bit more common in our life. Think about that this week. If it's something that maybe you haven't really given much thought to, you really haven't made this part of your Christian walk, we're going to look at some examples of individuals who fasted and sought God. And in preparing for that this week, consider how you might humble yourself and free up some time to spend with God. And as I said, it doesn't mean necessarily denial of food. Because in this day and age, that just might mean you breeze past the, uh, the Burger King drive-thru. And what does that get you? 30 seconds of prayer? I mean, they put the clock on. If it goes more than a minute, they're in trouble. They haven't given you your food. But think about areas where you could free up some time, where you could deny yourself certain things that it would be a reminder to you. Ah, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be calling on God, and you take that time. You know, if it causes you a little discomfort, that's the reminder. Today's different. Today's different. I, I ought to be praying. So think about that. Because as I said, if you know, I know there's sometimes there's health concerns, and it's not about hurting ourselves. It's about it's about seeking God. So will you do that? Will you consider that this week? Let's stand as, and pray as we go and just ask God to, to, to remind us, keep this on our hearts because this is important. This is the word of God. And if this is areas that Jesus saw as normal activities in life and we haven't really made it that much of a habit, begin to, begin to just look inside your own heart, think about, think about it, study his word, read over Matthew chapter 6. And do a bit, a bit, a bit of, uh, you know, looking inside your own heart. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you for the examples that we have in your word. And thank you for the instruction of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. God, we're blessed when we listen and we submit to the teaching of our Lord and our Master. And God, let this penetrate our hearts. Let it penetrate our lives. And God, let us, be, uh, let us be encouraged by knowing that when we, when we see these examples of submission, you answered, you responded powerfully. Help us, God, to trust you and give you everything. Give you everything, even if it's giving you some of our time to seek you humbly. Lord, I just ask that you would Bless everyone here as they, as they consider this this week, Lord. Bless everyone. And we thank you, Lord. We give it to you. We ask your blessing on it all. Bring us all back, God, to worship you and to praise you. In Jesus' holy and his precious name, amen.